0: listeners, and welcome back to a NBA and a little bit of Pat's edition of the Pulp Diction Podcast. Uh, Got Cousin Ben Daly on the line. Uh, Pat's fan, Ben Daly. Talk a little Pat's and then we'll do uh, a lot of shit that's happened in the NBA, to be quite honest. So we have have many things to cover. Um, But Ben, what's up? Not much. I'm glad to be back. Um, Lots
1: to talk about. I know... I said way back on my first show on this podcast that I would be back talking about the Super Bowl and the Patriots in it, so I'm glad to be here and talk about that. <laughs> and then, obviously, like you said, there's just so much going on in the NBA. It just seems like there's like 15 storylines every day coming out, and we got the trade deadline um, approaching, and Boogie got injured, and Blake's getting traded, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about all of it.
0: Just complete chaos. Let's, let's hit the Super Bowl first. I'm going to throw the listeners a full... Super Bowl podcast with uh, Tyler Gump and Kurt Mingus, but um, we'll get all the props and the betting, and we'll get real into it. But you're you're the Pats fan. I got to give you some say. What a man! You guys almost lost that Jags game. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I've
1: said this time and time again: the teams that the Pats play poorly against are the teams with really good defenses and good running backs that you know they're gonna they're not going to let Brady have the ball that much. They're going to put pressure on him, make him uncomfortable in the pocket. On offense, they're going to just drain the clock and not let Brady have the ball. That's why I was worried about the Jags. The teams that I worry about are teams like that 2015 Broncos team um, that beat us with Peyton Manning, who was basically the worst quarterback ever at that point, but their defense (laughs) was just so good that they beat us. And this Jags team, I think, was almost like a carbon copy of that Broncos team. Um, like they had really, really good cornerbacks who weren't going to let our guys get open. Um, Guys like Calais Campbell on the line and that we're just going to attack Brady all night. But you know what? When the chips are down, Brady always finds a way. But yeah, I I, I knew this game was going to be close. People were saying it was going to be a blowout. We don't blow out teams like the Jags. Um, The teams like the Eagles, however, I am not as scared of. And I don't know, when I think about this Super Bowl, Zach, I feel pretty confident Confident, then maybe I felt in our past couple Super Bowls. I was thinking about it, and I think that the Eagles are the worst team the Pats have faced in a Super Bowl in a long time. Um, and you can let me know what you think about that. But when I like, I think the Falcons last year were way better. The Seahawks in 2014, both those Giants teams, the Rams team from like 2000 Greatest Show on Turf. What do you think about that? Like, do you think this is the worst team we've played in a Super
0: Bowl? I think that you guys getting a backup quarterback in the Super Bowl does make them the worst team you've played. I mean, I know, like, Foles looked really good last week, but, like, so much of what he's doing, and I was on the corner of he'd be better than people thought the second, you know, he had two weeks to prepare, but it's still a guy who probably shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL or should be starting for a crappy team. And the idea that he's going to beat Tom Brady is, is kind of laughable. And that's why, you know, I'm going to load... I'm going to probably... I haven't decided yet, but I'm leaning toward Pat's minus four and a half. But a couple things work against that. One is that you guys always play close Super Bowl games. Like, I don't think you've ever blown a team out. And the other piece of that is that, like, your team's pretty flawed. Um, like, this is probably the one of the worst defenses you've had in a Super Bowl. And, like... You guys are savvy in that you know what you can and can't do. Like, Brady's not going to be trying to wing the 20-yard out to the to the end line every play, particularly with a, like, gouged hand. And, you know, your defense isn't going to try shit they can't handle, but, like, you know, th- the talent level is not as high. That being said, like, I'd be shocked if you guys didn't drop 30. Just giving Belichick two weeks and letting Brady's hand heal and having a full Gronk, I really see 30 from you, and... I mean, I, I don't see Nick Foles putting up 30. I just, I think you have this game.
1: Yeah, yeah. so you hit on the D. This is by far the worst defense we've ever had. Um, like in 01, 03, 04, we had guys like Rodney Harrison, Teddy Bruschi, Ty Law. Those defenses were incredible. Like that, that's the reason we won, to be completely honest. It wasn't because of Brady. Um, as good as he played at the end of those games. But um, like and when, when we played the Seahawks, we had guys like Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, We don't have, and Chandler Jones, we don't have guys like that anymore. Our defense is patched together with guys who didn't make it on other teams, guys who were undrafted. Um, So we don't really have that like first round pick caliber anymore. And there's a reason that by a lot of statistics, they were the worst (laughs) defense in the league this year. Um, Obviously, that was better like week eight on when they, I don't know, they were something like third in points against in the NFL. Um, But like they gave up, what, 20 points to the Jags? So. They're they're not a good defense. Um, Foles, like you said, I'm not worried about. I think he probably would be a starter on a couple teams, but um, I don't think that he can like put up points like like against the Pats defense the way Brady will do against their defense. Um. So yeah, I feel confident with the Pats. If if I were, I'm gonna bet on them minus four and a half for sure. I think what I'll say is there's a chance that. I think there's like a 25% chance that the Patriots blow out the Eagles. Yeah. Um, I think it's a definite possibility. I don't think there's no chance they blow us out. And I'm, I'm nervous to even say that. I'm going to knock on wood. Um, but that's the way I feel.
0: Well, even if you're getting blown out, you'll come back. Like, I can't think of a worse way to start a, a game than how you started against the Falcons, and we all know how that ended. <laughs> right. Like, you always have in your back pocket, all right, we're going five wides and Brady's throwing on every play, and you'll get the score up. The, to me, the one concern, if I'm a Pats fan, well, I have two concerns. One is, I mean, Brady, he he got the balls a little tighter toward the end, but he was looping a lot of throws in the beginning of that game. And, you know, I think hand stitches come out within three weeks, so he should be fine there. Like, he shouldn't literally have stitches in his hand, but, you know, if it's if there's some muscular stuff going on, if it's a cut that could open, maybe that's a thing. And if Gronk's not in, your offense loses about two floors of its ceiling. Um, I mean, Amon played awesome. Brandon Cooks kind of was a little MIA when you needed him. But it's going to – like, if Gronk's not wheeling and dealing, then I'd be a little concerned. But assuming a healthy Gronk, assuming Brady in there, I feel good about you guys in this game.
1: Yeah, so the reason i so good in that game against the Jags is because – for whatever reason, they were just playing a lot of zone, um, which is just, I don't know why you would ever do that against Brady because he beats zone every time. But, yeah, is just the guy that's going to find every hole and he's just going to be open all night long. The problem is when you play man-to-man, guys like Gronk, you put two guys in, and guys like Cooks are just going to get open um, and man all the time. So we'll see what the Eagles do. Um, I, the thing I'm concerned about is Ajayi and Blunt just kind of like roughing up our front our front seven, which is not good at all. Um, so if the, if the Eagles can like get ahead and, you know, just keep like running the ball, they, they'll be able to keep the pats out of it for a while. But like you said, I think it'll, there's no way they, like, they, they blow us out. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say about the game is Belichick rolled off the team plane wearing a fedora this morning, which makes me want to bet the pats even more.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's it's a historical fluke that you guys haven't blown anyone out in a Super Bowl, and I think it's coming. Um, but let's, uh, let's jump to the NBA, unless you have another thing you want to say. It is your team in the Super Bowl.
1: Uh, I, I'm out of stuff to say. I think we're going to win it, though.
0: Excellent. Um, all right, let's talk... Uh, God, the NBA's been fun. Mm-mm. Let's talk Blake Griffin trade first. Um, so the deal... Uh, Detroit sends a first-round pick and a second. The first is top-four protected, so basically if Detroit wins the lottery, they get to keep it. Um, They send a first and a second. Tobias Harris, who's still under contract for two years. Avery Bradley, who's in the last year of his deal. And I don't remember anyone else important being in the trade, but I feel like there's another person. Um, For Blake Griffin, who has four and a half years at like 35 million a year left on his deal. And then they threw in a couple other dudes. Um, so I guess, who do you think won the trade? And do you think the trade was smart? Like which sides do you think were right to make the trade? <laughs> so I'm glad we're talking
1: about this. Cause I'm curious to hear your opinion because I'm very confused by the trade. It, it doesn't make any sense to me from either standpoint whatsoever. Um, from the clip on the, behalf signing a guy to a five-year like was it a super max deal for blake
0: yeah it was as much as they could have possibly paid him and right so, so and signing they, a guy to a... yeah they were like we want you to retire a clipper and in the, it's been reported a ton by like big news outlets but like basically they like walked him through a maze and then they like they like hung a jersey for him in the rafters like during the pitch meeting we we're like we want you to be the first retired jersey for the clippers like the uh... <laughs> and then flipped him like four minutes um... later
1: Yeah, so it's kind of weird that they're trading a guy who they just signed for a couple months after. I think the Clippers, I don't know why the Clippers did it. I think the Clippers got worse. If anyone won the trade, I think it was the Pistons. Um, But, like, there's problems from the Pistons' uh, point of view also. I think they lost their best offensive player and defensive player, like Tobias Harris. Um, Say what you want about him, but he puts up points on offense, and he's dangerous. And Avery Bradley's still one of the best perimeters in the NBA, so they had to give up a first round pick. Those two guys, which is a lot, and I, I think Blake's really good. He's like almost a top ten player in the NBA, and the Pistons probably have the best front court now, especially with Boogie being injured. Um, but I just don't get why this move was made. I'm, I'm hoping you can enlighten me on that.
0: So yeah, the the very short version of why it was made for each team. So the Clippers. They Both teams kind of found themselves in a similar position where they felt like, with their core, they weren't going to ever win their... get out of their conference and get to a finals. But they didn't really want to, like, ignite their team and tank. Um, Detroit, because they're moving to a new arena and they're not a huge market where they can just sustain. The Clippers, because they're constantly worried with LA and their market that they'll just become... Like, they can't suck and be at all relevant. Whereas LA, the Lakers can suck and be relevant. So on the Clippers' side, it was they wanted to sign Blake, because if they didn't re-sign Blake, they lost him for nothing. So they re-signed to this huge deal, basically by telling him he was going to be a a Clipper for life, and then, you know, not letting him have a no trade. Then they flip him, you know, and get a first and a second, and Tobias Harris, who I really like, and... Avery Bradley's a nice trade piece, or that he can be nice for a year. So they, they turned that spot into assets, which is the only reason it seems like now they re-signed him. So that's kind of their reasoning, and for Jerry West, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. He knows better than anyone that the Warriors are not going to be beaten by players older than them right now. Um, and with Blake you know, approaching 30, DJ at 30, Chris Paul at 33. I think he came to that team and was like, this isn't going to take. Um, so that's why they made that move. They got some pieces back. They're largely being celebrated for the trade by most media outlets. Um, and I think that's fair. Tobias Harris is a really nice piece. And I think if Blake continues to have injuries, he might straight up be a better player than Blake in two years. Um, even though he's under contract for $16 million a year and Blake's under contract for... Thirty-five million or a third of your cap space. Um, the Pistons have been getting shit on for the trade, largely because, like, the kind of common take is, well, Stan Van Gundy knew he was out anyway. He was going to swing for the fences and try and get whoever he could in there to save his job. Um, and you know, Blake is good enough where you get in a playoff series with any of the flawed teams in the East, and Blake Griffin could well be the best player on the floor. Or if you're playing the Cavs, you know, the sum of your parts might be better than whatever dregs Cleveland are rolling out there. Um, For the Pistons, like, it's a huge bet on Blake's health. Like, Blake, I love healthy Blake, even though he's, like, kind of petulant and really annoying player on the court to, like, watch when the ball's not live. Live ball, he's excellent. Like, he's just whipping smart passes – if he's feeling himself, he can be as athletic as anyone in bursts. Um, he's got a little bit of a jump shot now to where you can't just play totally off him. And, and you can really run an offense through him. Like Detroit can can get him the ball and let him dictate most things and run canard and, and shooters around them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my that's the reasoning for both sides. I kind of like it for Detroit if Blake is going to stay healthy, but that's such a big if, and it it really won't be true if you've ever followed Blake's career. So, I mean, I'm probably gonna be a net negative on the Pistons because it's much more likely that Blake turns into the new Amari Stoudemire (laughs) than that. He, you know, ends up winning them a couple playoff series. And, you know, the Clippers, it's cold, but, you know, they got a bunch of assets for a guy they clearly didn't want anymore.
1: Um, the interesting thing to think about is I feel like the uh, the Pistons just became the Clippers in a way. Like that Clippers team from 2014 <laughs> that wasn't good enough to do anything but was really good and everyone was really frustrated with them. The one with Chris Paul, Blake, and DeAndre Jordan, and now it's Reggie Jackson, uh, Drummond, and Blake Griffin. So I don't know. I just don't get why they, they did it. If, if anyone won the trade, I would agree. It's the, I would say it's the Pistons. I don't know. You said most people are saying the opposite. Yeah. Um, but I think the Pistons definitely got better um, just because Blake's so good. But my main takeaway from the trade is that I feel really bad for Avery Bradley who from the Celtics team, um, and now he's stuck on a terrible, terrible Clippers team. And I also feel really bad for DeAndre Jordan, who wanted to leave like five years ago. And there was that whole saga with like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin Like, trying to make him stay, even though he saw the writing on the wall. And exactly what he was afraid of happening is now happening. He's stuck on the team without either of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... I mean, the Clippers aren't that fun to talk about now. Like, they're pretty clearly retooling. They could flip DeAndre. They can flip Avery Bradley. They can actually trade him back to the Celtics, because he's no longer the last team (laughs) they played for, which would be really funny. Um, But... Basically, they're in a position where they could trade any of Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, DeAndre Jordan for pieces right now and just load up their cabinet, draft a ton of players, and kind of pitch the free agents as, look, like, here's what we've got. They could also just keep DeAndre Jordan, Lou Williams, and Avery Bradley, they'll get Patrick Beverly back healthy on a really cheap contract next year. Um, they'll have Tobias Harris. If they sign a good free agent, they're probably a playoff team. Even if they don't, I think they'd be in contention for a low seed. That's a good environment to try and bring up some young guys. And with this pick, they'll have you know a mid-round first that they can take someone you know who's got real promise with. The Pistons are the team that's going to be really hard to see how they come out from this. On paper... A starting five of Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Reggie Bullock, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, with Ish Smith, Stanley Johnson, Langston Galloway, Tolliver coming off the bench. If Blake is cooking, that's as good as any team in the East that's not the Celtics or Cavs or, you know, Raptors. But we've all seen how everyone in the East is flawed in a playoff series. And I mean, basically, like I said earlier, it, what's going to happen with Blake, you know? Like, is he, is he just going to be constantly hurt, in which case you've got a gimpy guy who can't really shoot who's being paid a third of your money, which would be a fucking catastrophe, or is he going to be the same guy in that Spurs series they won who was like 25, 13, and 6, and you could run your offense through him, and he was just dangerous at all times? <laughs> It's just a massive bet on him. I'm I'm more sold on the Griffin Drummond front line. I don't think Drummond has ever played with someone this good, and Griffin's a really good passer. Um, I think Drummond's gonna get a lot better looks right next to the hoop because of this, and if Drummond can hang out right next to the hoop, you know, in theory he should be able to get more rebounds on the offensive glass and stuff. So I think there are there's a lot of value to this. I'm also stupidly high on Luke Kennard because he's just someone I've loved since Duke. I was on record saying he'll be a 20-point-per-game scorer at some point. That probably won't happen this year, but, I mean, next year, two years from now, he seems like a great guy where you could have Blake be the primary creator on offense. He kicks it to Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard's out there shooting it, running a secondary pick-and-roll, doing some stuff. Um, And Kennard's already hitting 40% of his threes, so you know, I feel good about him offensively as a piece going forward. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, they're probably – the Pistons are probably the fourth or fifth best team in the East now, which is basically where they already were. Um, so that's – I don't know. Maybe they jumped the Bucks. Yeah. I know.
0: Yeah. I mean, realistically, this was Stan Van Gundy's last hurrah before he gets canned when this team hmm. makes an eighth seed and gets run out or, you know, doesn't make the playoffs or something. Um, yep. But, it, like, if you're the Pistons, right – Like, it's really sexy to say, blow it up. And I'm not going to be one of those, like, hard knock, like, old-timey truthers where, like, don't ever blow it up. But, like, you could blow it up and you hit, you know, you hit a couple draft picks and now you're young and exciting and if you make a couple more good decisions, you're, you know, a contender in in six, seven years. But so many teams try to go that route and just run into a brick wall and – You know, for a team like Detroit, who, like I said, are trying to move into a new arena and trying to sell tickets, it's really hard to sell people on, hey, we took DeAndre Ayton with the fourth pick. That's a harder sell than we've got Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. We're a four seed. We're frisky. Mm. And, you know, you're it's always a bet. Why not bet on Blake's health instead of the lottery? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, that contract sucks. <laughs> I think the only way the Pistons
1: ever turn into a championship team with this roster is if Drummond gets a lot better and he's young, so he could. Kennard, like you said, if he becomes a 20 point scorer, shocked. I've never seen him with that kind of ceiling. Um, and then I think Stanley Johnson just turns into some like defensive nightmare. But I don't see pretty much any of that happening. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and Reggie Jackson's getting paid a lot of money for someone who doesn't stay on the court and isn't very good when he's on it. So, they're you know they're real problems with this team. I don't want to make it seem like I'm believing in the Pistons, but there's a reality where they're very good, um, in my opinion. But anyway, let's uh, let's bump on. What are your thoughts on? This is kind of a nice segue, actually. So. I don't think people generally care too much about Blake, um, as like a person. Like he's kind of contemptible. We all thought his dunks were cool, but he he bitches a ton, and everyone really hates him in the league, which I put a lot of weight in. Like if ever, like the NBA guys know each other, and if literally everyone hates him, he's probably a dick, um, or at least kind of insufferable in some way. But at the same time, like I just feel bad that like the Clippers like. Like, I think he really believed them. I think he was really, like, thought they weren't going to trade him and wanted him to be, like, their star. And if he actually thought they should have gotten a no-trade clause, but whatever. And they just shivved him. And it was the same thing with Isaiah, where, like, a team really didn't treat the player very nicely. And not only did no one care, everyone heralded it as, like, a really smart move. Like, everyone's saying, Jerry West, great team builder, you know. Danny Ainge, excellent team builder. And they treated their star players like dicks. Um, does that worry you? Do you think players are going to start really demanding no trade clauses? Like, what do, you, what do you think is the fallout from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they should. Like, these players don't get treated like players. They get treated like assets. Um, but I, I wouldn't compare the Isaiah thing with the Griffin thing because Isaiah was the heart of our team with a really bright future, and Blake Griffin was on his team that was going nowhere fast. Like, what happened to Isaiah is so much worse than what happened to Blake. I mean, Isaiah had the hip injury, with the, which he played with in the playoffs, including playing the night after his sister died. He gave literally every bit of himself to the Celtics, um, and I never saw that kind of dedication from Blake to the Clippers. So I wouldn't quite compare them, but I don't know. I'm, I'm pro player. I think they should do whatever they can to make sure that they're secure.
0: That's true, um, and Blake's also getting paid $39 million <laughs> like in four years. Like, yeah. Blake's going to be fine. Isaiah, oh, I don't, I don't, Isaiah's also going to be fine, but Isaiah probably cost himself. If he sits out after April with that injury and doesn't play in the playoffs um, and comes back this year healthy and is playing as well as last year, he's getting $20, 25000000 a year from someone. Now, if he keeps playing like this he might get another three-year, $7 million deal. Like, that might be his best offer if he keeps playing like this. Like, he might have cost himself $80 million to the team. Are you talking about because he played through the injury? I'm talking about because he looks broken right now. And if there's no way to fix him, and playing through that injury for four months, which he did, was part of the reason he's so hurt, I'm saying he gave the Celtics about $80 million of value because he cared about their franchise, and they put him out to pasture the second it was convenient. Yeah, I'll never forgive Danny Ainge. At the same time, it was a brilliant trade. Like, he looks so <laughs> bad now, and Kyrie looks so good. You're right. We, we think of these players like assets, and Danny Ainge made a really smart asset move. Um, I'm, I think the answer is to just – players just got to go get a no-trade clause. Like, if you're, if you're a max guy, if you're – not that Steph Curry would need to do this, but if you're Davis – and you're signing your next thirty-five million dollar deal. Insist on a no-trade. Someone will give it to you, and if you get hurt, you know, keep the power.
1: Yeah, or do what LeBron does and sign one-year deals, and then like, if the organization pisses you off, you can just leave. Yeah, I mean, I, but not much, I mean, you can only do that if you're really fucking good, and you can just like
0: do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, what do you, that was my segue into the Cavs deal yeah good god is this a fucking train wreck um (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do a real quick timeline then i want your thoughts on on what's wrong and what they can fix okay um shortly after the finals david griffin's contract runs out and instead of extending him or naming a successor Dan Gilbert just kind of flakes on both. He He's never in his time as owner re-signed a GM because they always ask for more money, and he just flaked on it. So they, they just had no GM. Um, they claim that this isn't the reason, but at exactly that same time, the three-team trade they were organizing that would have sent Kyrie and Kevin Love out and brought in Paul George and Eric Bledsoe falls through. Um, must have been something else. <laughs> Kyrie, who would have been shipped to Phoenix in the deal, learns about it. And even though he'll claim otherwise, it's definitely a piece of why he wanted to be asked for the trade formally, if not the final straw. So Kyrie asked for the trade, you know, maybe a month later. Gilbert, who's an idiot and is now in charge of operations and is actually still in charge of operations for the team. Um, The GM actually reports to him on final decision-making. Gilbert... Like, it's like, okay, and then swings that deal with the Celtics, where they get what he thought was going to be the best pick in the draft With the Celtics knew that the nets were gonna be decent, so they got you know, they're gonna get like the eighth pick in the draft. Jay Crowder, who just is hasn't been good for like a year and a half at this point. And Isaiah Thomas, who was very clearly damaged goods, and they bring they agree to the deal. everyone's shocked. They bring Isaiah in for a medical test. It's very clear that he's broken. They're like, he can play maybe in December or January at best, but he'll still be working back. The Cavs are like, maybe we don't want to do it. And then they just take a second rounder and do it anyway. Um, and that's basically where we're at, is now LeBron is playing with Kevin Love, who knew he was basically traded and is pretty depressed on the team. Broken Isaiah Thomas, washed up Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade, over like paid or apathetic Crowder Jared Smith, Tristan Thompson. and like <laughs> this team just sucks. Um, and there's dysfunction all the way from Gilbert down to LeBron what uh Oof. what are you what are your thoughts on this team? can they here's the way I'll ask it. Is there a conceivable way they write this ship and become? The Eastern representative in the finals,
1: as currently constructed, I'm at the point where I'm going to say no because um, I've just seen too much. I think when like what's the problem? There's a, there's just many. I think it like not becoming what people thought. I mean, people for some reason thought he was going to be the same guy he was last year, coming off the hip injury, and when he put up like one of the one of the great NBA seasons and efficient NBA seasons in history. Um, which I'll probably never repeat like you went down the roster which is exactly what I did like I, Jay Crowder sucks I've said that <laughs> for two years like no one listened to me I he was so he wasn't even good on the Celtics except for one year he sucks Dwayne yeah. Wade sucks Calderon sucks J.R. Smith is overrated Kevin Love is overrated Jeff Green is overrated Kyle Corver's nasty
0: <laughs> get Corver in there more Corver's, That's I, Corver's <laughs> very good at what he does but he's also a 40 year old. <laughs> three point specialist. Yeah. Um so I just don't know what they can do. I
1: like the move of taking Jay Crowder out of the lineup and putting in Tristan Thompson cuz Jay Crowder sucks. Um but the only like LeBron is playing as good as he can. I I know he had one of like the worst net ratings in the NBA in January. Um or so far in January. But I just don't know what else he can do and he just doesn't have enough talent around him. And there's dysfunction everywhere. There was, like, that meeting where everyone was mad at Kevin Love, apparently, for sitting out when he was sick. Um, And, like, people are frustrated with Isaiah because he's not being as good. Um, So right now, I don't think they can do anything. I think they are, as their record shows, the best team in the East. Like, I think if they were to play a seven-game series against the Raptors or the Celtics, they would lose. Um, So I think they need to do something at this deadline. They need to use that Brooklyn pick, um, and they got to make some
0: moves. I totally agree with you. There's a lot of people who think they're insane to move the Brooklyn pick. I'm the complete opposite. I think they'd be insane not to use it. You have an incredibly dysfunctional owner who can't handle running a team properly. And you have a once in a lifetime, amazing player who's given you a second chance that you're in the process of blowing. It either like, if it doesn't work, with LeBron right now, when is it going to work in the next 15 years? Like, it's just not going to. And if your <laughs> argument is, well, they can use the Brooklyn pick to draft their next, you know, superstar, there's just no chance of that. I, I I think you're crazy not to maximize this window when you have LeBron because there is a one in a million chance that they get a player as good as LeBron relative to the rest of the league on their team ever again with how crappily dysfunctional they are. Um, anyway... I agree with you. I, I mean, LeBron has this way of like pulling the team together, or I guess his team just kind of coalesce when they need to. And it's just something like LeBron's just so good that the guys just like forget about all the drama and just fucking ball out. And it, you know, they could be, I mean, last year they were 50 and 32, which is like middling. And they ripped off, you know, eleven. They went like twelve and one in the on the road to the finals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it is broken. And if you're five foot eight and you're not scoring with volume or efficiency, you're just such a liability. And unless it is going to like recover more and get to a point where he's quick and fluid again he's one of the worst players in the league. And it hurts to say that because he was so good last year, but like he's, there's something very broken with, with his body and it's still on the mend. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be playing. I'm just saying at this moment, he's not good. Um, in fact, he's quite bad and you hit on it with their whole roster. It just sucks. Tristan Thompson hasn't tried hard since he started dating Kardashian. Um, it's just, it's not good. I mean, I can never write off a LeBron team in the East, but yeah, it looks pretty bad. Um, I agree. So
1: I think the one way they make their way back is if Isaiah just somehow figures it out and like magically gets healthy. Cause that's where they have the most room for growth is like, if he puts, if he starts playing like he did last year, I think they probably go back to being either the best team in the East or, Like, basically equal with the Celtics. So, it's kind of up to Isaiah. A lot of weight on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear, like, the way things are going now. What, like, are you sold that LeBron's leaving this summer?
0: I am very sold that LeBron's leaving the summer. I maintained all last summer and, you know, all through the beginning of the year that LeBron had a really good chance of staying. Because I feel like the Lakers were three years away from being good. And, you know, LeBron would love to just rampage through a crappy East every year instead of going West and trying to build a new team from scratch around 19-year-olds. But it, this is... Like, LeBron's teams always have a lot of drama because they're covered so intensely and because LeBron, you know, loves subtweeting and, and stuff like that. But this team is just depressingly, depressingly dramatic. Like, like Isaiah... I love him, too, and I really respect what he did last year, but Boston was the first time he was a part of a locker room that wasn't dysfunctional. Like, he was on a bunch of dysfunctional-ass Kings teams. He was on a Suns team that combusted. He was on the Celts for, like, I think it was two and a half years, and if you believe the organization is unique in that they can just bring everyone together and play to their strengths... You know, maybe you write those off, and now he's right back to being arguably one of the biggest problems in Cleveland's locker room. The little guy mm-hmm. became the little man complex, in my opinion. He's, he's just, he's like lobbing and takes like our defense sucked before I got here. It's like, dude, you're five eight and you can't guard anyone, and you're a step slow. He's
1: five nine, and I will not hear you smite him on these airwaves,
0: dude. You can't be as bad as he's been, and then be as brash in the media as he's been. You have to have some humility. It's—I feel really bad for him that he played as selflessly as he did for the Celtics and got shanked. But he's on the Cavs now, and he's being a shitty teammate. (laughs) He's calling out Kevin Love, who's been there five years and left because he was sick. I mean, Kevin Love's a baby, but still. You, you've been there, like, two weeks. You suck. The team's sucking with you. You can't just go call out the, I don't know, second best player. I don't know, man. Put yourself in his shoes. Like I feel I, terrible for him. I mean, I've got to
1: defend Isaiah until I die.
0: Yeah, I vibe with his statement that he doesn't have his powers back. Because I'm going to compare his career to my middling athletic career. I always felt like when I played Hurt, I could see what I wanted to do in my head and couldn't actualize it, and it's so frustrating because you, you know what you want to do, and you just can't do it, and feeling like you not, don't have your powers is just so apt for how you feel. At the same time, like I know he's criminally underpaid, and he basically put up a $35 million season last year, And he's never going to get more than 12 million if he can't play like that again. But you just, you can't go into that locker room and just be throwing shade at people and acting like you're the shit when you're playing terribly. Fair. But you're right. Like, he's still rehabbing, really. Like, there's, there's getting medically cleared and then there's getting in form, like in game shape. So he's not there yet. Like, if he gets there. He could totally get there in in March, and that team goes up two levels, and we're all like, "Wow, we were so stupid for you know doubting the Cavs," which we say like every year because LeBron just takes his teams to the finals every year. But this year, in particular, it really feels almost impossible. Yeah,
1: I think this may be the year that seven year run comes to
0: an end. I think so too. Um, I mean. I'm not sold on the Celtics beating them. I think the East is wide open. Um, like I would, I would even buy the Raptors winning the East. As stupid as that sounds, no, it doesn't sound stupid at all. Um, I think that they they should probably be the
1: favorites right now. The Celtics are playing like shit right.
0: Now. They, I just I feel like everyone performed so over their head when Hayward went out and they kind of settled. And then everyone else has kind of receded except Kyrie, who's just playing it a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 every night. Yep, that's exactly my diagnosis, too. You want to talk Celts-Warriors?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Good segue again.
0: Um, that was such an awesome game. What were your thoughts on that game?
1: I think that the Celtics played well enough to beat 29, I guess 28 of the 29 other teams in the NBA. Um when, guys, when Kyrie puts up 37 on 13, 18, Horford has 15 and 13, and a guy like Jane 20, like that's a win for the Celtics 99% of the time. Um, and it just was unfortunate that we put up that good of a game against the best team ever. So that's my main takeaway. It was the best game we played in a long time, and we ended up losing. Um, obviously, I think the number one reason for that was we didn't have Marcus Smart to cover Steph Curry people who have heard me on this show before know that Marcus Smart is my favorite player in the NBA and Curry had 49 in this game. We Kyrie can't cover Steph Curry, Marcus Smart can. So I think that was a huge issue. Um, but yeah, I think on a macro level, the Warriors should be afraid of the Celtics. Like they, they're the team. We are the team that they do not want to see in the finals. Um, seven of our last 10 meetings, have been decided by five points or less. Um, So I would love to see a seven-game series between them.
0: I would, too. Um, I I agree. I think Kyrie was just exquisite in that game. That's as well as I've ever seen him play against the Warriors, including every time he went for 40 against them in the finals. Like Doing what he did on the number of shots he did... While, you know, having a taxing defensive assignment is just insane. Um, and it's really depressing for the Celtics, like you said, to see your best player play that well and not not win the game. Because um, I, I can't fathom a reality where Kyrie plays better. At the same time, Curry looked every bit as good as he did during his hot streaks um in that MVP season that I maintain was the best offensive season ever. Um and on a night where Durant didn't even shoot particularly well, uh, they won anyway. The thing that strikes me about the Celtics Warriors matchup, you held the Warriors to one oh nine. And I know that's, you know, you wouldn't normally say one oh nine is a great defensive performance, but If Curry's going to shoot the way he shot and you hold the Warriors to 109, that is a great defensive performance, particularly on the road. And, you know, I think your whole team is set up to guard the perimeter as well as anyone. Like, you think about a typical great defense. You think about, like, Rudy Gobert at the rim and a bunch of big dudes, like, kind of locking down the paint and forcing jump shots. Your team is full of quick guys who can hang in the perimeter and contest threes and Al Horford, like, quarterbacking it in a very mobile way where you can't expose him. And I feel like if you wanted to go up against, you know, a Warriors' death lineup, Al Horford is the perfect center. He's big enough where you can kind of not punish Draymond, but you can poke a little hole, holes at the fact that they play a 6'7 center. And, you know, he can switch onto a Curry, a Durant, and hang as well as you can reasonably expect from anyone who's 6'10". Um, you have Jalen Brown, you have Terry Rozier, you have Marcus Smart, you have all these pieces to throw at guys, um, who can score in the perimeter like the Warriors can. I'd love to see that series, particularly because, you know, Stevens is so good and, and, and what have you, and, and Kurt, and Kyrie, this is actually a point I wanted to make. I think, I think Kyrie... I don't think it's an accident that Kyrie always plays really well against the Warriors. And I don't think it's just because he balls out in big games, even though he definitely does that. I think it's because players who love playing in, like, kind of a flowy, creative style. So guys like KD, guys like Curry, guys like Kyrie, guys who just love, like, thriving in an environment as close to pickup as possible. They really play better when there's all these loose transition... Kind of unscripted possessions, like it seemed like Kyrie was just really enjoying kind of dancing around and and playing that you know shooting seven second style. And then when he got the switches, he was just totally in his element and had great field. Like he was finishing over Durant, he was finishing over Draymond. Like it wasn't just Curry he was lighting up. Um. Anyway, I I, I think Kyrie really plays his best against the Warriors, which is really cool for you guys. Yeah, I, I like
1: what you said. Like the more similar it is to pick up ball, the better Uncle Drew's going to play. And I think that's <laughs> definitely true. Um, he loves he loves that style. And you talked about like, the roster of the Celtics. I think that the one thing that Danny Ainge has done that's really smart, or one of many things, but has been like const- he basically constructed this team to play Golden State. And like you said, that means having the ability to have five guys in the court who are like. 6'3 three to six ten and can cover any position, um, and that would be with Horford at the five. So that team was like this team is like built to play them, and that's why we're good against them. There's a reason we draft like down to number three and draft the Tatum instead of drafting Fultz. We love guys who are like Semi Yabu Saleh, Tatum, um, Jalen Brown. These are guys that are all like six eight or six six to six ten, and they can just guard any position. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about Kyrie. Is, this is kind of unrelated, but he has been, in my opinion, um, like by far the most consistent player on our team. And I honestly think he's one of the most consistent players in the NBA. He's so good and so crafty that pretty much no matter what we want him night in night out, he's gonna like put up numbers. And in this recent stretch from the Celtics, which has been really bad, uh, something like like we're like five and five in our last ten, and it's probably worth fifteen. Um, but, like, when we're playing bad, there's a tendency for Kyrie Irving to shoot a lot more. Um, and a lot of people think, like, oh, he's shooting too much. He's trying to take over games. But if you watch, it's, like, that's not a, that's not, it's not a, what's happening at all. Like, Kyrie's shooting so much because no one else can get open. No one else can create their dot. And he has to keep shooting. Absolutely. Um, so he's been the only one that hasn't dropped off in, like, the, the last 20 games or so. Um, but there's no doubt the Celtics are at their best when he's shooting like 15 times and only dropping 20 points and he's more of a passer and the guy who's kind of like sitting back and making other making sure other people are uh, playing well
0: yeah I mean I couldn't agree more this is one of those really cool cases I'm someone who you know obviously like loves uh, the insights math gives sports because that's an intersection of my two interests but He's a great example of how stats really f- fail. Games like basketball and, and soccer to a much greater extent that rely a lot on intra-player movement and flow and, and things that you can't capture numerically yet. Um, I mean, Kyrie, if you look at just the raw numbers, like points, assists, rebounds, looks really similar to last year's Kyrie and on the Cavs, and he just couldn't be a more different player. Everything he does much like Isaiah last year, but in a more unselfish way, everything he does sets up everyone else on the team, and you see it when he comes out of the game, their offense just dies. Like, Kyrie doesn't have to go one-on-one every play, but the fact that he can, and the fact that you can't leave him alone like coming off a screen, you can't, you know, when he drives, you have to send multiple rim protectors. That unlocks Tatum, unlocks Brown, unlocks Horford, unlocks name a person on your team. Um, the other point I wanted to make about the Celtics is I think you have a really cool lineup to throw at Golden State. I think you would go against the Golden State death lineup. So that would be Igudala has been a little crickety-rickety this year. Um, Rickety-crickety. And it might end up being like Nick Young in some games, which is hilarious to say. But against their, you know, Curry, Clay, Durant, Draymond, and then Iguadala lineup, um, you could throw out Kyrie, Smart, Horford, like Brown and Rozier, Brown and Tatum, Tatum and Rozier. But I think Smart has to be in there because I would stick Horford on Draymond. I would stick smart on Durant. I would stick (laughs) Kyrie on uh, whoever the non-four all-star guy is. And the rest of your guys are really good on the perimeter. Like, I might throw Jalen Brown on Curry. And throw, like, Tatum on, you know, Clay or Rozier on Clay. Because I just love the idea of smart guarding Durant. Because if Durant has a weakness, he's not very strong. Like, I watched in a playoff series how Chris Paul stuck him at the end of the game and, like, made it, like, way too difficult for Durant to do his thing. Like, Durant's just trying to chill and get his shots up and, like, play his flow game. Durant, I think, would be most annoyed by someone like Marcus Smart just gluing onto him and flopping anytime he moved his arms and just being stronger than Durant, because I think Smart is stronger than Durant. I, I think that would be a brilliant matchup move for Stevens and a really cool way to use Smart. Um, and I'm excited to see it in a playoff series if it ever happens.
1: Yeah. I, I advocate putting Smart on the other team's best player. The only I, I might put Smart on Curry and have Tatum try his hand at stopping um, Durant, but it's nice to know that we have a couple guys that can guard any one of their superstars. Basically, any superstar in the league, we have a couple different options of guys we can put on them. And that's mostly just because Marcus Smart can guard one through
0: five. I just worry about, I worry, yeah, I worry about Smart being quick enough for Curry. Like, Jalen Brown isn't as quick, but he can just reach his arms out and make up for five inches. Smart's, like, such a bull. Like, I feel like he could just get under Durant and just, like, push him and get Durant to some really crappy spots on the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's where Marcus is, um, like, that's the only semi-weakness There's really only two guys I've ever watched that were too quick for him, and one was Kyrie. Like, we had to put Avery on Kyrie every time because he was just too quick. And the other is Russ. Um, Mm -hmm. But other than those two guys, Marcus is really good at, like, beating guys to their spot, and if they're going to try and get past him, he'll um, just do that, like, take a charge or something like that. Um,
0: Like, Jalen Brown is already stronger than uh, Curry. You don't need Marcus Smart for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah um cool do you uh i i read something today that uh steven said that hayward's you know definitely not or not definitely not coming back this year but they said like you know the team's not expecting him to come back this year do you think he comes back um haven't given it much thought uh
1: i i don't think he's gonna come back no i i don't i don't really have all the information ahead of me i did see that quote Um, And it sounded pretty definitive, but I don't know. I love the conspiracy theories. Like every time I remember the first time there was a picture taken of Hayward when he wasn't wearing the boot, (laughs) people were really (laughs) excited. Um, And I know like Kyrie, he might've tweeted this or an Instagram. He said like three slash 20, like March 20th as a return date. And there's been some stuff with that, but I don't know. I don't think he should come back this year. I think he should rest up. That was a gruesome injury. He should
0: should take some time. I mean, I think the best corollary to his injury is Paul George's, where it wasn't, it was disgusting, but it wasn't like, like it wasn't a knee thing. Like I think the knee things take 12 to 16 months. I think like his injury is like a, you know, six to eight month injury. And I think even if he's not playing, he'll be at the five on five stage of his rehab in like April. And I think with the Pacers did with Paul George was really smart. They put him in for 15 minutes in a pretty low-stakes role, and they were like, we don't care if you suck. We just want you to be on the court this year. And I think, weirdly, that, like, you know, he didn't play that well, and it was whatever, but everyone's just so happy to see him, and he kind of got some of the butterflies out. And then he could spend the summer being like, all right, I'm going to get in shape. And when he came back, he didn't feel like he had to play for 15 months. You know what I mean? I I think it'd be really cool for Hayward to play 12 minutes a game in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, that'd be he'll be in
0: awful shape, and you know he won't be nearly as good as he will be. Like he'll probably be comparable to like Daniel Thies, (laughs) because he'll just he won't play basketball in eight years. I love Mason Tice. Yeah, but you know I think it'd be cool for him to get out there. Dude, you got to get on the Tice
1: train. I know you don't like him much, but. I, I just, he's, he's a stretch big that can't shoot yet. He will be able to shoot. Like when you watch him shoot, he has really nice form. He does. He'll be dangerous. He'll be, a, he'll be a really good guy to bring off the bench as a stretch five.
0: Yeah. It seems kind of hilarious that your team with like 16 good players picked up a really good undrafted free agent, but
1: <laughs> yeah, just like found him. And then like with Shane Larkin too, just like yeah. got him from God knows where. And he's been putting up good NBA minutes.
0: I don't know if I've said this on a pod or not, but I was convinced for like a month before I found out he was German that the Celtics just saw Daniel Theis playing pickup in like a Southie street court or <laughs> somewhere, and just like, oh yeah, let's sign this guy. <laughs> He's good. Dude, I, I like him a lot. He's got, he's really good at defense and he's got an ask on.
1: He's just a, he's just a man.
0: Yeah, I think, dude, I think the, uh, I think the Irish Catholic Boston population really identifies with him. I think it's funny. Yeah. They probably fucks with him a lot. <laughs> I feel like if I were a thieves jersey to a like really tough Southie bar, I'd be loved anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like an Aaron Baines. People love Baines here. Yeah. I could definitely wear a Baines jersey too. Um, all right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Kawhi a little bit, real quickly. Um, you, I mean, someone had a really funny tweet. It was uh, this guy Network for the Ringer, who has a really funny Twitter. Um, I don't know if you, you are current on Game of Thrones. It was. Yes, tweet was like Kawhi being the pop problem child is a red wedding level betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought was super apt to what's going on. I mean, you see that story and you're just like, what? Kawhi? Like, he's so quiet. He was like, so Duncan's successor. Like, why does he want out? Like, it's so bizarre. Do you think he leaves? Um, no,
1: I- I'm shocked at the story, especially just cause like, even if he wanted to leave, I feel like we'd never know about it just because of San Antonio and pop and how they run things kind of similar to the Patriots. Like you never really know what the hell's going on. Um, but, like, I see – I don't think it will happen, but I totally see why Kawhi would want to leave. Um, like, the only pro to playing in San Antonio is Popovich. Um, yeah. And I guess their fan base is pretty rabid. But, like, when you see the guys that Kawhi's playing with, like, who are you excited to play with out there? I mean, Ma- Manu, not really. I mean, he's a legend, but not really. Tony Manu's Parker, 40. no. Pao Tony Sol, Parker's definitely not.
0: washed, yeah. Exactly. Um,
1: Aldridge is like you throw the ball in the post and he does his own thing. Also, by the way, the Spurs offense, sometimes they just they just totally rely on Aldridge. Like they just give him the ball and get everyone the fuck out of the way and make him score. Like no team relies on a guy for offense, maybe more in the NBA than the Spurs do on Aldridge. Um, But like, like who is he? Maybe DeJounte Murray. Like that's a guy who's exciting to play with. But he's just one person. I don't think Kawhi gets out of the bed in the morning to play with Dennis Bertans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I totally agree. Um, I totally if he agree. He wants to
1: play a beautiful game and like go somewhere where it's going to be more fun. Then I totally see why he wants to leave. But the way Kawhi is, where he's re- reserved, laid back, doesn't really talk that much. I don't know. I guess the Spurs are kind of the perfect.
0: Thing. I totally agree. I mean, I think I think a lot of people mistook him being super quiet all the time for him being really happy with the situation. And you hit the nail on the head, like, who is he playing with that's fun? Like, his best teammate by far is Aldridge, who is, by all accounts, not that fun to play with. And I don't think anyone (laughs) in Portland liked him that much. He basically requested a trade, and I don't think anyone in the Spurs is like, no, don't. Like, he's just, at his best, you're still just running post-ups for him, and he's like a serviceable defender, and you just kind of hang around him. Um, and, you know, the guys that were there for that last Duncan Prime when they were awesome, Danny Green has not been that good in a couple years. Tony Parker is washed. Manu Manu is, like, one of my favorite players to wash, watch, but is 40. Like, he just can't be expected to do all the stuff he does on a day-to-day basis. Um, DeJounte Murray, really a good player. Not there yet. This is his second year in the league. He spent the first year... Really like studying behind a lot of good guys, and and after Murray, you know, who's there? It's it's Kyle Anderson, it's you know, Rudy Gay, Paul wash up Paul Gasol, Bryn Forbes. Like these aren't these aren't players. <laughs> Yeah, my bad, my phone died.
1: Alright, you're good.
0: Um, yeah, I would totally agree with you in just saying that uh beyond uh beyond Lamarcus, it's like washed up Manu and Tony Parker, Bryn Forbes, like Danny Green who hasn't been good in three years, Kyle Anderson, like Patty Mills, like these are just role players, washed up guys or guys who aren't that good. Totally. Also, Bryn Forbes is the man now.
1: Have you watched him at
0: all? I, I really like his game. He's like Yeah, I like that dude. He's like if um he's like if Bradley Beale was like six one and not athletic at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually very very apt.
0: Um but yeah, I like his game a lot. But like yeah, I mean you're right, it's pretty much just pop. You know what I mean? That's the only reason to be there is Pop is the best coach in the league. And maybe he's taking that for granted and that's your argument, but you know, dude needs some, some, some help. I mean, I was talking to Nick about this this year, who was a big Spurtish truther this year, and I was like, dude, Kawhi put up a usage rate last year that was as high that was higher than every Duncan year except for like two thousand three or two thousand two or, or some year they weren't awesome, where Parker and Ginobili weren't good yet, and David Robinson was gone, like this team is not functioning the way it's supposed to. But I agree with you. I don't think he'll actually leave. I think they're... I think this is a a ploy, maybe not a ploy by Kawhi, maybe that gives him too much like Machiavellian credit, but uh-huh. I think he just wants some more good players around, and he's trying to up the pressure on the organization to achieve that.
1: Yeah, dude, I totally agree.
0: Um... I'd be amazed if he left. I mean, he'd have to demand a trade I think he's under contract for another couple of years. And... I think
1: they should um, shut like shut up all the people that think he's uh, like the, that LeBron's going to the Spurs also, which I know Nick is one of them.
0: It's such a bad take. There's nothing less LeBron than going to the Spurs. Yeah, not going to happen. He's just like, he's all about, like LeBron's sole goal is to be thought of as the best player ever. And he knows to do that. He has to beat the Warriors, which makes the Spurs make some sense. But the Spurs are all about minimizing the individual's, you know, acclaim. So how does that help his claim as the best player ever if he's going to be on the Spurs and take 15 shots a game and, you know, whatever? I think he's – this is actually something I want to talk to you about. I think the LeBron sweepstakes have never been more open – at any point in time in his career, um, I think LeBron is a guy who's honest when he says that he waits to the end of the year and evaluates his options. And the two places everyone thought he would go, either the Lakers or staying in Cleveland, which is you know the path of least resistance. Both those options suck. Cleveland is the worst organization in the league, short of like four other places, and the Lakers are somewhat dysfunctional. Have a ton of like nineteen and twenty year olds. And aren't that good. And he could, you know, ship in three other two other max guys, maybe, if they got rid of all their contracts, but even then you're building the team around, you know, a bunch of twenty year olds still. I think a ton of teams could make a very reasonable pitch to LeBron to go get him. My favorite is still the Rockets, but yeah. you agree with me that it's very open for him? I
1: think it's so open. I think Spurs there's no chance. Rockets, I like the idea, but then he's got to play the Warriors. Um, love the idea of him on the Bucks, which is also quite unrealistic, especially him going to a place like Milwaukee. But thinking about him and Giannis together would be just fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to totally turn the page on the Lakers. Um, no, you should. Part of that also is that, like, Paul George is really enjoying the Thunder, who are playing really well, so... Maybe he doesn't leave for L.A. like everyone thinks, which would mean LeBron probably doesn't go to L.A. But, yeah, I think my three main options are Houston. Oh, and Philly. The, my three main are Houston, um, Philly, and then I'm going to stick with the Lakers too.
0: Uh, so I, I buy that. I think his, his decision-making process is what team gives me the best chance to beat the Warriors? Because he knows that the best thing he can do for his resume is to be the one that overtakes this budding dynasty in the Bay. And, which means he's going to want to go to a team with a ton of assets or a team he can bring a ton of assets to. My thing with the Lakers, I mean, everyone knows he's bought a couple houses there and he has a lot of business there. I do think there's a lot of sense in him playing there at some point. But LeBron was in the media saying and this is the first time he said shit like this, saying earlier this year, "I want to redefine what it means to have an athletic prime. Like, I don't think I'm going to get bad because I'm 30. I don't think I'm going to get bad because I'm 33." Like he really thinks and I think he's right with the way he takes care of his body and invests in his body He really thinks he can play at this level till he's 36 and then play well till he's 40, um, somewhat like Tom Brady, honestly where their whole lives revolve around being ready for these games and they do everything you could possibly do to make that true. So he could go sign with the Rockets for 3 years, play out the rest of Chris Paul's useful life, then bump to the Lakers. Um like that's that's a decision I see, you know, staring me in the face. You're right that the East would be a way easier path and he definitely thinks that way because LeBron is very, like, very scrupulous in the way he thinks about this stuff, um, and I think made both his free agency decisions correctly. Um, with uh, posterity, he there. If an Eastern team presents itself as a super team, they're going to be incredibly competitive. My one issue with the Sixers is I feel like he won't think Simmons and Embiid are ready yet. You know what I mean? Simmons is 20, Embiid's 24 and can't stay on the court. What if Embiid has a season-ending injury and it's just him and 20-year-old Ben Simmons? Like, that's not a championship team. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, you're right about that.
0: But the fact that the Sixers are in play is a testament to the fact that I think 11 teams could put together a really compelling offer for him. And he'll be listening because he wants to beat the Warriors, and if he thinks you have the best shot at doing it, he'll go sign with you. Um, so I think a lot of teams can or perhaps should be positioning themselves well to go get this. Um, my, the reason why I'm so sold on the Rockets for him, I think he, he was – I will defend to the death his decision to leave Cleveland and the way he did it for the record because he raised a ton of money for charity with that stupid special. Um, he wanted to leave a really crappy organization. Like, that organization sucked. I was watching... There's some video bopping around YouTube or Facebook of, like, the intro to his 2007 fi- 2007 finals team. And the, the starting lineup was, like, him, Ilgauskas, Booby Gibson, like, and two other guys I... Couldn't remember. Like I think, I think three quarters of that team and two, th- you know, three fifths of the starters were out of the league in two years. Like he dragged. It would be the equivalent of Boogie taking the Pelicans to the finals. Like that's how bad that team was. sans Boogie. Like that's how bad that team was. Um, just incredible. The Cavs have ruined it twice with him. I think he saw what a good management was like in Miami for four years. Went back to a bad one, and I think he's going to really look for a good GM and a good organization when he signs. And there's no one better than Daryl Morey at kind of adding things on the fringe, which LeBron loves doing midseason. So that's that's a big piece of why I think he's going to go there. And plus, Harden and Paul are both really fun players to play with, as you're seeing with this Rockets uh, run, which is very impressive. Sir.
1: All right, man. I gotta hit these books.
0: Yeah, man. I'm I'm keeping you. Um, uh, do you have any parting shots, or is this uh, is this it?
1: I'll say one last thing, um, and I don't even want to talk about this. I just want to state it. Russell <laughs> Westbrook staring down Joel Embiid for the last 14 seconds of that game was the coolest thing I've ever seen on a basketball court.
0: That was so dope. I got Westbrook team, shit until I, I die. I I will always defend his attitude on the court. I love yeah. that so much.
1: That's my favorite rivalry right now in the NBA. Now Sixers Thunder baby. That was so sick.
0: All right, All man. Right, man. I'll let the you...
1: bounce.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming thanks on. For having me on. Good shit. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. I'm sure. Are you coming on Friday? I think I'll see you on Friday.
1: Uh, I can't come on Friday to EV show. No.
0: Oh no. Okay, never mind. Um, but, I'll see you soon though. Yeah,
1: I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. All right, see ya.
0: Peace. That uh that does it for Ben Daly's portion on this podcast. Um, I feel compelled to mention a couple of NBA things before I go. Um one the John Wall injury. Um one sec. Just making sure not I have it on Twitter. Alright, no nude shit on the NBA. One the John Wall injury. I've already said I have divested from the Wizards. Um Zach Lowe has made this point on podcast before or uh, in his articles today but 16 of their next 20 games against high quality competition um this might be a death blow to their playoff hopes cuz they're not that high up in the standings anyway and even though I really like Bradley Beal and I really like Porter their team is so crappy after their you know best 3 to 4 players that you're looking at 36 more minutes for not guys like Ubre. They're already playing 32 minutes. It's 36 more minutes for guys like Tim Frazier and Thomas Sadaransky. and that's just so devastating. Going from John Wall to those guys, which is going to be their trade off, is awful. Um, so I'm very concerned about this team. I've already divested from them, as I said on previous pods, because um, even though I like Wall, Beal, and Porter individually – just the vibe on this team and the way they carry themselves and the way they've rounded out the roster are just all so bad i just can't sign off on it the one thing i am excited for i think we're gonna get to see auto Porter shoot 20 times a game i was one of the few people who defended his hundred million dollar contract i think he's an incredibly efficient player i think he's the kind of player who you don't just throw the ball and he runs iso or you don't just throw the ball for shots off screens that are contested even though he can kind of do that now he's the kind of player who you play in the flow of a smart thoughtful offense and who scores very efficiently for you in that system and i think with beal maxing himself out and then swinging the ball at other people i think porter's gonna have to take 20 shots a game and i'm excited to see if he can do it efficiently um and my last thought for the wizards is maybe the one silver lining of Boogie's injury is that he's not going to have a spirited playoff fight with the Pelicans and think he should stay there because that organization is crap. People just need to leave it. Um, I really hope that Boogie goes and signs with the Wizards. And, you know, I think the Wizards' sole focus this offseason should be dumping one of Gortat Mahimi, hopefully both, and nabbing Boogie Um, because those four, Boogie, Porter, Beal, Wall, especially if LeBron's out of the East – that's championship material, or not championship. material if the Warriors are still together, but that's finals material. Um, and then, really quickly on the Miritich deal, just because I'm a Bulls fan and I feel obligated, um, they uh, reported today that they're gonna the Pelicans and Bulls were gonna trade Miritich for ASIC and you know first. Um, I've been on the train. I want Miritich to go for a first. I think Miritich, Markin, and Portis are fours and. Having three of them makes no sense, um, and we should sell Miritich while his value is highest. Uh, then the deal, even though it said it was going through, or Woj says it was going through, it kind of crapped out because of this wrinkle where because the Bulls signed Miritich to a team option deal, Miritich gets to veto trades until the team picks up his option. Um, so, <laughs> and the Pelicans didn't want to pick up his option, so whatever... Minutia not important but just funny that the bulls would leak a story like they thought the the deal was done or the pelicans would do that and then it wasn't actually done um for a reason that should be obvious to anyone who works in the cap every day like one of these gms um i'm still in favor of miritich going i really don't think this bulls core is what it needs to be i don't think miritich is going to be around for when it is going to be what it needs to be let's send him on his way. <laughs> Let him go somewhere where a teammate didn't break his jaw and concuss him, and let him have a good career there. Kind of surprised the Pelicans wouldn't want to pick up his option. Uh, I guess if they're trying to keep Boogie and an AD, Miritich is a four, so he should not be playing alongside both of them. But um, just still very, very weird story that can only happen with two franchises that are on top of their shit. Uh, But anyway, that's all I got. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Pulp Diction Podcast with Cousin Ben Daly. And be on the lookout for a couple other podcasts from me this week. Um, another one I'm releasing today, more free-flowing convo I did with Brandon, Cousins Brandon and Sean, who inexplicably, even you know, we've recorded like six, are this is going to be the first aired podcast. Um, we do kind of a, a life conversation today. It's interesting. I'm not quite sure how I want to summarize it, but... Give it a listen if you want to philosophize and think about the news. And uh, also be on the lookout for an NFL, proper NFL Super Bowl preview. Just wanted to give Ben a bit of time of day here. But be on the lookout for a proper NFL Super Bowl preview with Tyler Gump and Kurt Mingus. Um, As always, thanks for listening. Stay tuned.